chair staff is ready when you are. Thank you very much, Heather. Uh, let's, uh, good evening, everybody. Let's call this special meeting of the City of Sacramento Planning and Design Commission to order. Today's Thursday, November 29th, 2023. The time is 5.30 p.m. Clerk, will you please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Andrade. Here. Commissioner Boyd. Absent. Commissioner Buckley absent. is absent. Commissioner Chase. Here. Commissioner Caden. Here. Commissioner Lamas. Is absent. Commissioner Macias Reed. Here. Commissioner Thompson. Here. Commissioner Wallace. Here. Commissioner Zhang. Here. Commissioner Young. Here. And Chair Hernandez. Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Thank you very much. Uh, for members of the public, I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like to speak on an item today, please turn in a speaker slip. You can find them at the end of the room or over here with the clerk's office. Everyone will have three minutes to speak and make their comments. Um, so with that, we'll now move on to the land acknowledgement. Please rise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Petwindwintun peoples, and the people of Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you very much. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. You may be seated. Um, so we'll move straight on into the discussion calendar. We have one item today, and that is the proposed revisions to the draft 2040 general plan and draft climate action and adaptation plan. And we have a staff presentation today um, whenever you're ready. Good evening, Chair Hernandez and Commissioners. I'm Remy Mendoza with Long Range Planning. It's a pleasure to be here <clears throat> along with other members of our planning team this evening. Tonight, we are uh, presenting on the proposed red line revisions to the draft 2040 general plan and the climate action ad adaptation plan. We'll begin by providing an overview of the community, community engagement efforts that occurred during the public review period then highlight the notable red line changes to the document, and we'd welcome your review and comment on these proposed revisions. We've come a long way, as shown on the project timeline, and now we're on the home stretch. A huge thank you to this commission for your guidance and input during each of the key phases of this multi-year project. From the first phase with the development of the vision and guiding principles to phase two with the preparation of the draft land use map and key strategies which served as a framework for phase three in the development of the diagrams, goals, policies, and implementation actions of the draft plan. With the public review period now closed, we're just a couple of months away from having a final general plan and cap prepared for hearings and adoption. After tonight's review and comment on the red line revisions to the general plan and the cap, staff will then finalize the document for adoption hearings in early 2024. We're tentatively scheduled for January 25th for Planning and Design Commission and February 27th for City Council. For a real quick refresher, the general plan also includes 10 community plans and the climate action and adaptation plan will now be a standalone document. 
Updates were needed to respond to the evolving community needs and address opportunities and challenges that come with growth of our city. There are four main parts to the general plan that were reviewed by the community. And overwhelmingly, the majority of the comments that we received were in part two, the citywide goals, policies, and implementation actions, which makes sense because this is the heart of the general plan. Part two of the general plan is further broken down into eight elements as shown on the screen here. Of these eight elements, the majority of comments that we received were on the land use and placemaking element. The revisions that we'll cover today are mostly in this land use element with a few other changes in the environmental resources and constraints, mobility, economic development, and youth parks, rec, and open space elements, and a couple of key uh, red line changes to a couple of the community plans. Community outreach has been very important in developing the general plan. And as part of the public review period, staff continued to engage with the community through a series of self-guided self online workshop that was accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week from April 28th through October 10th. Staff also attended pop-ups at community events. We had meetings with community and neighborhood organizations, a series of conversations with the planner, council and commission presentations, social media, postings, and email blasts for our residents. As a result, we received over 1,500 comments on the general plan and the climate action and adaptation plan. And we also received over 120 letters on the general plan in the CAP. Staff reviewed each and every comment and proposed changes in response to some of these comments. The table of comments and staff responses are included in attachments nine and 10 of the staff report and all letters that we received on the general plan and the CAP are included as attachments 11 and 12 to the staff report. In terms of revisions that were made in response to public comment, they can generally be categorized into three types. So they're either policy shifts to proposed policies in the general plan, some new policies that are being incorporated now for the final general plan, and then some technical corrections and cleanups as well. In this presentation, we'll be highlighting the notable red line changes in the general plan that are included as attachment three to the staff report. Attachment six of the staff report also includes an unformatted complete red line version of the revised general plan. The first policy to highlight here is land use policy 4.1, transit supportive development. Changes to this policy are shown in red line uh, the key change here is that the radius was increased from a quarter mile to a half mile where the city will encourage residential, increased residential and commercial development uh, uh, within a half mile of high frequency transit. Um, parcels with the maximum floor area ratio of one that are within a half mile walking distance of high frequency transit have been increased to a maximum FAR of two. Last night, City Council confirmed this approach and voted unanimously to direct staff to proceed with this change. On this screen is a map of the approximately 17,000 parcels identified in blue and green as being within a half mile walking distance of the existing and proposed and planned light rail stations and bus stops along bus routes 51 and 1 that would see an increase in FAR from 1 to 2. With this revision, the 2040 general plan maximum FAR diagram would be updated as shown on the right of this screen here. 
The revision, this revision uh, will align uh, higher intensity and near, uh, higher intensity development near high frequency transit that supports the city's transit oriented development objectives as well as our climate action plan goals. These maps can be found as attachments four and five of the staff report. Uh, the next change to the uh, red line change to the land use policy is policy 6.3, variety of housing types. Cottages and neighborhood scale multi-unit dwellings have been added to this policy as a type of housing type that the city will promote development um, in new growth communities and existing communities. Policy uh, 3.1, maximum FAR, has also been updated. Uh, this policy incorporates a sliding scale as a way to regulate the maximum FAR. For each additional primary unit provided, that allowed, the allowed floor area ratio increases incrementally. These thresholds were calibrated based on Sacramento's real estate market and prevalent lot sizes. The sliding scale is designed so that the number of units allowed and the FAR thresholds are paired in a way that encourages smaller and therefore more attainable units. The policies shown on the screen here in the land use and place making elements are new policies that are being incorporated. The first policy is uh, 3.2, pertaining to the sliding scale policy that I, I just talked about. The next policy is 3.3, allowed uh, net building area for small lots. This policy would permit up to 2,000 square feet of net building area per lot or the maximum allowed by the uh, sliding FAR scale. The next policy provides an exemption from the sliding floor area ratio scale for remodels and additions, allowing expansions of existing single unit and multi-unit dwellings ensure that they're exempt from the sliding scale. These two policies here are policies that were modified. The first one is 4.12, drive-through restaurants. Um, this policy indicates that the city is gonna prohibit drive-through residents now within a half mile walking distance rather than a quarter mile um, from existing light rail stations. Um, we've also uh, indicated that that measurement should be taken from the center of the existing or proposed light rail station platform and from high frequency um, transit stops. The next policy being modified is policy 4.13, future ready stations. This policy was modified to indicate what we mean by high speed charging stations uh, to clarify that this is a 50 kilowatt or greater direct current fast charger. Um, and also the ratio has been changed here in terms of the ratio of requirement of new charging stations for fuel nozzles. Rather than one to three, it is now one to one. We also have these three new policies being incorporated into the general plan shown on your screen here. Policy 4.1 indicates that we'll be eliminating uh, parking minimums. And the policy states that the city will not require new or existing development projects to provide a minimum number of off-street parking spaces. Policy 4.14 supports the development of vacant parcels. Policy 4.16 uh, indicates the city will develop appropriate design guidelines and development standards to promote compatibility between light industrial um, and residential uses. We also have these two new policies here. 6.12 is about reconnecting communities, indicating that the city will support efforts and opportunities to reconnect communities that were disconnected by large infrastructure projects and development. Policy 8.15, setbacks from rivers and creeks, is a carryover from the 2035 general plan. 
Um, that indicates that we're going to ensure adequate building setbacks from rivers and creeks, increasing where possible to protect natural resources. Um, we've also incorporated these two new policies here. The first one shown on your screen, uh, implementation actions, excuse me. Uh, A3 local bonus program indicates that the city will amend the planning and development code uh, to establish a local bonus program for the development uh, projects, providing regulated affordable housing, including those with less than five units that would not qualify for the state density bonus. And then uh, policy A.6, future high frequency transit routes, uh, indicate the staff would uh, reevaluate land use designations in the future um, to redesignate them for uh, a higher intensity maximum development as uh, high frequency transit routes are updated and established by transit agencies. This policy here, A10, has been modified slightly um, it, in order to ensure that and clarify that we'll be removing maximum residential, residential density standards not just from multi-unit and commercial and industrial zones, but also from single unit and duplex dwelling zones. Um, in the economic development element, we have one notable policy to highlight here. This is a new policy, it's a nighttime economy policy, which indicates that the city shall support the nighttime economy to help foster a vibrant and well-managed nightlife in Sacramento. <clears throat> this slide shown here and the next six slides include 11 policies related to biological resource protection. These policies are currently adopted and included in the 2035 general plan. They weren't included in the public review draft, but they have now been put back into the 2040 general plan. In many cases, these policies highlight ongoing work that the city is doing. We heard from the community and ECOs that it was important to keep these policies, and so we are ensuring that they're carried over. These policies address things such as coordinating with state and federal agencies, considering potential impacts to sensitive plants and wildlife, and encouraging and supporting regional habitat conservation planning. This uh, policy in particular, conservation of water resources and open spaces, is a combination of two policies from the 2035 general plan that, that will ensure that the city continues to preserve, protect, and provide appropriate access to designated open spaces uh, and areas along the American River and Sacramento Rivers, floodways, and uh, undevelopable floodplains. Well, we also have this policy, two, two policies here being reintroduced. First one is 2.6, uh, which indicates the city will preserve and protect wetland resources, including creeks, rivers, ponds, marshes, vernal pools, and other seasonal wetlands to the extent feasible. And 2.7, annual grassland, indicating that the city will preserve and protect native grassland, vernal pools, that provide habitat for rare and endangered species. We're also reincorporating uh, policy 2.8, wildlife corridors, indicate, which indicates that the city will preserve, protect, and avoid impacts to natural and disturbed habitats that provide movement corridors for sensitive wildlife species. Um, as well as 2.9, uh, another existing policy in the 2035 general plan, habitat assessments. Um, which indicates that the city will consider the potential impacts on sensitive plants and wildlife uh, for each project requiring discretionary approval. And then uh, we all are also carrying over these two policies here. The first one on your screen, 2.10, pertains to agency coordination, which indicates that the city will continue to coordinate with state and federal agencies to protect areas containing rare endangered species. And policy 2.11, Natoma's Basin Habitat Conservation Plan, which indicates that the city will continue to participate and support 
policies in the Natomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan for the protection of biological resources in the Natomas Basin. Um, these two policies, again, are also being carried over from the 2035 General Plan. The first one, um, again, also supports habitat conservation planning efforts. Um, 2.13 is about climate change-related habitat shifts, uh, which uh, indicates that the city will support efforts in the Natomas Basin Conservancy and other habitat preserve managers to adaptively manage wildlife preserves um, to ensure adequate connectivity, uh, habitat range, and diversity of topographic and climatic conditions are provided to species uh, to move climate sh as shifts. And then we have uh, these two policies here that are being carried over from the 2035 general plan. Uh, the first one is climate change related habitat restoration and enhancement. And then the second one is, has to do with operational emissions, which will ensure that uh, development projects that exceed operational thresholds um, will, be able, will um, uh, incorporate design or operational features to reduce those emissions um, as required. And then lastly, as part of our environmental resource and constraints element, we have an implementation action here related to heat resilient design techniques, uh, which indicates that the city will evaluate the feasibility of updating design guideline standards and the municipal code rather than promoting but to require building materials and site design to techniques to minimize areas of reflective hard surface. In the environmental justice element, we also are introducing this new policy here. Um, the title is community-led planning, I'm sorry, it's an implementation action, not a policy, which indicates that the city shall pilot a community-led planning grant program focused on addressing the needs of people with in disadvantage and or historically underserved communities. And it provides a lot of um, good language about how that can be carried forward. Uh, for the mobility element, we're introducing um, two new one, one new policy and then uh, shifting the timeline for another policy. Uh, we heard from the community that it was important to uh, have language around safe routes to school in our general plan. And so this safe routes to school policy is being incorporated into the mobility element. And then we also have an implementation action here uh, to ensure that we update the street design standards as well. Um, for the youth uh, parks, rec, and open space element, the park service level standard is being changed to 8.5 acres of parkland per 1,000 residents, which um, uh, will include neighborhood parks, community parks, regional parks, open space, and parkways. Uh, this policy uh, revision is consistent with the new Park Plan 2040 update. The updates are due uh, to our most recent the most recent analysis of parkland inventory and projections of future parks. The Parks Plan 2040 will have more details on how this will be achieved through park impact fees and acquisition tools. And then finally, in the, as part of the general plan, we have uh, three notable red line changes to the community plans to share with you today. Uh, the first one is in the Central City Community Plan. So it's a, a policy around temporary alley, alley closures. The policy indicates that the city will discourage temporary, temporary alley closures for private use in effort to develop an active and cohesive alley system that better integrates pedestrian, bicycle, and vehicular access. And then in the, the North Sacramento Community Plan, we have two policies. The first one is uh, engaging north of I-80. This policy uh, indicates that we'll engage neighborhoods north of I-80 in effort to assess community needs and identify the appropriate level of planning study that's required for this area. 
And then lastly, we have a North Sacramento mobility policy, street improvements, which indicates that we'll continue to seek funding to carry out improvements as prioritized in the transportation priorities plan for streets that lack sidewalks and street lighting uh, that are, are under heavy use by pedestrians and will not be improved through new development assessment district. So I know that was a lot of slides and a lot of red line changes, but we did receive a lot of really great feedback from the community and uh, from all of the boards and commissions. So we wanted to make sure we highlighted these notable changes in this presentation. Um, that covers the notable revisions that are a part of the general plan. I'll now turn it over to Vic, who will talk about the climate action adaptation plan. Good evening, uh, Vic Randall, senior planner on the long range planning team. Uh, happy to be with you tonight. Uh, so the Climate Action Adaptation Plan consists of 10 chapters and seven supporting appendices. Uh, the majority of comments received were on the greenhouse gas reduction measures and supporting actions in Chapter 6, uh, as well as on the adaptation goals, policies, and actions included in Chapter 7. Uh, the majority of the red line revisions made to the public review draft cap are therefore in these two chapters. And I'd like to go ahead and walk you through some of the notable revisions made in these two chapters, as well as a few revisions made in Chapter 10, uh, Municipal Greenhouse Gas Reduction Measures. Um, so let's start with uh, Measure E2 and E3. So Measure E2 is eliminate natural gas in new construction, and Measure E3 is transition natural gas in existing buildings to carbon-free electricity by 2045. Uh, these were revised to reflect the impacts of an April 2023 ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit that impacted enforcement of the city's adopted new building electrification ordinance and the pathways available to decarbonize existing buildings in the city. Uh, these impacts are reflected in the use of revisions to E2.1 and E3.2. Uh, and I would like to note that these revisions uh, to measure E2 and E3 were not included in attachment three notable revisions, but are included in the redlined uh, cap that is included in your packet. Um, so built environment measures, uh, we've added three new key built environment actions that will assess the feasibility of net zero energy or net positive buildings, assess opportunities to minimize impacts from new development on existing solar capacity, and assess opportunities to support the integration of distributed energy resources to stabilize the electrical grid during peak uh, demand periods, among other potential benefits. Uh, we've added new actions to support e-bike adoption and safe routes to school programming, uh, and added language to acknowledge the potential inclusion of hydrogen infrastructure in mobility hubs. For transportation measures, we've added a new action to assess opportunities to increase curbside charging, uh, both from private residences that lack re uh, driveway or alley access, as well as publicly accessible charging infrastructure. And this section action, uh, TR 3.13, uh, reflect is intended to support regional heavy duty fleet decarbonization. Um, we've got a few uh, municipal measure uh, amendments that we'd like to note. Uh, we've added uh, edited several actions that support uh, decarbonization of the city's medium and heavy duty fleet, uh, evaluate the feasibility of using recycled water in parks, and uh, to provide improved bike parking at city facilities as funding becomes available. Uh, getting into the adaptation chapter, uh, we received a large number of comments that led to revisions to goal A2 uh, to create built environments that reduce exposure to extreme heat and mitigate urban heat island effect. Uh, these include revisions to ERC 3-5 to consider the carbon sequestration potential and adaptiveness to projected climate change impacts when the city next prepares a tree list and added direction for the city to update street standards with objective design standards for shade trees along roadways. Um, revisions to uh, 
This action would specify that the city would also explore opportunities to amend development standards and guidelines to promote the use of heat mitigation strategies on active transportation networks and commercial corridors. Uh, so the, the minor edits to the minimum tree requirements uh, included here are intended to support tree canopy in residential neighborhoods, including for missing mid middle housing projects. And then two new actions were added to goal A3, uh, which is to reduce the risk of uh, damage to life infrastructure and property due to flooding. And these actions would identify opportunities to add green infrastructure and parks and open space, to improve flood mitigation capacity in flood prone areas, and to assess opportunities to acquire new open space in parkland in flood prone and repetitive loss areas of the city. And so that concludes our presentation and the staff team are available for any questions the commission might have. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll now go to the public comment period. Um, received, we have received um, about four e-comments online, two in support and two requests for revisions. The commission has already reviewed that. So we'll go on to uh, public comments here in the chamber. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I currently have three speaker slips for this item. The first speaker will be Alyssa. Please come down. Hi, good evening, um, commissioners. My name is Elisa Lee. I live in District 4 in New Era Park, and I'm a member of the Sacramento chapter of Strong Towns. I first want to give a huge thanks to the planners. Uh, this was just such an enormous amount of effort. I know that we contributed many comments, and I just saw that there was a lot of attention paid to um, adjusting to those directions. So I support so many of the revisions, especially the elimination of parking minimums citywide, the increase of the FAR near transit, the incorporation of safe routes to schools, and many instances where you change to prioritizing walking, bicycling, and transit instead of just promoting. I think that really marks a really important shift in how planning will be done. Um, and also, just want to note that these are really important changes for like the long-term finances of the city. You know, density, mixed use, and walkability make for a, a stronger, hence strong towns, stronger, more enjoyable city, one that's far more financially responsible, that can actually keep up with its own infrastructure expenses. Oh, my glasses keep fogging up. Um, I want to call out the very first goal, uh, LUP 1.1. Um, the city shall promote a land and resource efficient development pattern and the placement of infrastructure to support efficient delivery infrastructure. Um, and reduce vehicle miles travel. I feel like this should be the guiding light for the Planning Commission. Oh, and um, things I'd like to urge the Commission to further revise. Um, VMT reduction, I really believe this should be an overall VMT reduction as one of the key indicators for success of the plan because Sacramento's population will grow and it really is important to reduce VMT overall. Um, Transit-oriented development, um, there is a candidate high-frequency transit corridors map and really to upzone to residential mixed use around transit and to update all the transit stations to be um, transit corridors or TOD corridors, excuse me. And um, last, oh, never mind, I'm out of time. Thank you. Alyssa, uh, go ahead, we have one more minute. We have three minutes total for public comment, um, so I apologize for that. Go ahead, Sorry. one okay. more minute. Oh, great. Um, I had one piece about roadway design standards. So it seems like so much of the goals around pedestrian and cyclist-friendly infrastructures will rest upon how those roadway design standards get done. Um, and 
you know, there's so many important things that can happen through that. Um, there have been instances like on Freeport Boulevard where roadway design standards, arbitrary uh, prioritizing of vehicle throughput over pedestrian safety directly blocked both the residents and business owners' desires to see a lane reduction. And so I think updating those roadway design standards to not only deprioritize de like multiple lanes, make it so that we really severely limit uh, multi-lane one-way streets, try to depave to meet those tree canopy and flood mitigation goals, bump outs, all these things. Um, I don't know who's responsible for that. I'm new to this, but I really hope the Planning Commission will encourage whatever process those standards get updated through to be transparent to the public, to invite public feedback, and to happen to start as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Troy. Hi, my name is Troy, District 4. I uh, just want to start also by saying thank you so much for the plan and the revisions. I think that I feel really heard, and I'm I'm strong support of these, these revisions, um, especially, you know, a lot of the same stuff that Elisa brought up, the Safe Routes to School editions, a lot of the, the uh, altered verb verbiage around like uh, prioritize, prioritizing instead of just like mentioning uh, pedestrian infrastructure. Uh, it is several hundred pages, so there's a lot to nitpick, and I, I'm glad I have the microphone because. <laughs> um, so one of the, f one of the uh, things we, Alisa also was bringing up was the, um, the strategy in the. Uh, CAP and um, the GHD reduction strategy, uh, as well as the um, the stuff that encourages that talks about encourages wa walking and, and biking and taking transit in the general plan, in my mind have a common issue. They focus a lot on carrots for taking transit, for walking, for cycling, and they don't mention sticks for dry, or they don't talk about sticks, which is like uh, reduce, reducing roadway capacity and um, and like like talking about our over allocation of parking. And I know that other parts of the, of the plan can address that through like uh, elimination of parking minimums. I support that. Um, but uh, I'd like to, I don't know. It just seems like there could be sticks in there, uh, like limiting a new uh, lane uh, additions and, and introducing more lane reductions. I don't know where these things go in, in the plan exactly. Uh, the second thing was about uh, like heat island effect and flood mitigation. These are two things that are influenced by our level of pavement. And I don't, I, I control F to the whole document to look for the word depave. I couldn't find depave. So maybe we can introduce something about incentivizing depaving both on private and pu public property and for new or existing uh, developments. Um, I think that depaving will be helpful for both of those things. And that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker will be Dan. Good evening. Um, this is my first uh, planning and design commission meeting that I've attended, so I'm interested to see what's going on and who's here. Um, I live in District 4. Uh, my comments are that the general plan revisions are all moving in the right direction. I didn't 
find anything that was moving in the wrong direction. There are many advocates that would like stronger policies, stronger actions, and accelerated timelines, but I want to acknowledge that it's all going in the right direction. Um, sorry, I fell asleep. Um, as far as the transit-oriented thing, which was addressed uh, at the City Council last night in the map with the blue parcels on it, um, for, as a transit advocate, I think that the expansion from a quarter mile to a half mile is the most important part of that. The change of FAR from one to two is also important, but expanding the zones are critically important because you need a critical mass of people to make transit work, and without that critical mass, it doesn't. Of course, what I'd like to see is more high-frequency transit routes so that most of the city looks like that instead of just parts of the city. Um, I have participated in almost all of the corridor uh, planning processes um, for transportation, and the thing that I have heard from community members again and again and again is trees, trees, trees. They want trees. And so everything that the general plan can do to support tree canopy, tree canopy ex expansion, particularly in low-income neighborhoods, is a great thing. Um, there are at least two things that are going to follow the general plan adoption that are critically important to making the general plan successful. One of them is parking management and the other is street design. And so I hope that the planning commission will keep a close eye on those documents as well because if they don't turn out well, the general plan won't turn out well. And I'd still like to see a cross-reference in the general plan text. Um, Trees are mentioned in a number of different places, but there's no indication that they're mentioned in all these different places. And so sometimes the words are exactly the same in two locations. And sometimes they complement each other or amplify each other, but there's no way to find those references. You can't jump from one to the other. So I would really like to see cross-reference. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, we have no other speakers for this item. Thank you very much. Um, so we will now close the public comment period and bring the discussion back to the dais. Um, I also want to thank staff and members of the public, uh, staff for your presentation and members of the public for joining us here today. Um, so commissioners, do you have any questions or comments or feedback for staff? This is a review and comment period for the general plan and the uh, climate adaptation plan. We'll first go to Commissioner Macias-Reed. Thank you, Chair. Um, I will definitely um, echo some of the comments that were made this evening. I, I believe my first Planning Commission meeting was in February of 2019 when this process started. Um, I, too, was in some meetings with Matt and, and Remy um, on some of the community, at some of the community um, meetings. And I mean, this is a tremendous amount of work years of work that you guys have put in. Um, so I just can't express my gratitude for all of the work that you guys have done. Um, I remember when we were approving the guiding, the vision and the guiding principles, um, and that was just a really exciting step. Um, and for those of you who have um, been through this process with us, uh, appreciate your input. Um, I, I too uh, believe that we're moving in the right direction. Um, 
there's so many of these um, principles, these guiding, the, the guiding principles, so many of uh, these modifications that we're going to discuss this evening that I think um, are uh, tremendous additions. Um, I do want to just um, ask a, or more, more have a couple of comments and then I wanted to end with a question to staff. Um, I'm excited about the elimination of parking minimums. Obviously, we've been talking and discussing this at Planning Commission and in the city for a very long time. We had created an ad hoc committee, ad hocs went away, and so now we're going through this process um, now uh, with, our, with our team and some of our, our members on the commission. So really excited to see this included. Um, the reconnecting communities um, piece I'm actually really um, surprised to see that and grateful because um, I, I work for a community on Franklin Boulevard where you know the Oak, the South Oak Park and North City Farms community were really split between when when um, the uh, 99 freeway came in and so that had tremendous impacts to the community and, and access to resources and so that's a really really great addition. Um, the, I did want to make a comment. I think um, a lot of what we've heard recently about, again, reducing he urban heat island effect and you know me meeting our climate goals really have to do around um, you know uh, planting more trees, um, increasing our tree canopy, and it's something that in my day-to-day -day, uh, career we've been trying uh, to accomplish with the Complete Street project on Franklin Boulevard. Um, I will just want I do want to make a comment um, to staff, even if we don't have public, maybe not have public works here, but we do have the climate team and we have planning staff. Um, one of the roadblocks that we've run into on Franklin Boulevard um, when it comes to trying to find funding um, uh, for tree canopy for this project in particular is that um, the city has not been able to take on the cost of maintenance, um, and I would say that, again, if we're trying to make this one of our guiding principles, um, when we have these underserved communities that have had the benefit of getting, you know, state active transportation grant opportunities, that we, you know, as staff, public works, the planning department, uh, we come together as, as partners and really try to figure out a way to fund the ongoing maintenance because what good is landscaping and tree canopy if you're not maintaining it, it'll just die. Um, and then it'll completely defeat the purpose that it was intended. Um, so not just with the, the Franklin Boulevard project, but all the other projects, this, you know, we've got the Stockton Boulevard specific plan coming through. We have uh, planning work um, happening at the street level in North Sacramento and Northgate. Um, and hopefully soon something with Freeport Boulevard. So again, would really like to see, um, you know, that second step in trying to come up with some solutions to help these communities um, that need that tree canopy to also be able to um, secure them and maintenance them long term. Um, and then uh, the community-led planning, um, I think that's really important. If I think just as a commissioner, um, I look at the general plan and I'm just like overwhelmed, right? Um, so for anybody else who is even wanting to know more, it's like, where do you start? Um, so I think we have done a great process. Uh, or I think we've done a better job of trying to make this information more digestible and for that I really appreciate it. 
Um, I think the community-led planning process, and if the city does you know, go after grants in the future, I think it would be a great opportunity for us to maybe dive into like a general plan 101 of like, hey, you know, you guys offer it to us, and, and, and it's a public document, but it's incredibly dense, um, and I think a lot of people are scared by it. And so uh, I think it'd really be great to, once we do get this plan approved, um, sort of focus um, through a community-led planning effort on how we can help the public disseminate some of this information um, so that they see like how it impacts them on a day-to-day. -day. Um, and then lastly, I just have a question because I know that in the report, um, and I can't say that in six days I was able to get through it all, unfortunately. Um, but there was a section where you touched on performance measures. Um, I think that's really important. I remember years ago when we started going through this process, that came up, right, of, okay, every five to 10 years we're going through this process. Um, how are we measuring success? And I think that's a great question that a lot of us, and I certainly as a commissioner, am wanting to know a little bit more about. I did read that. Um, in the staff report, but I would like for staff to kind of touch on sort of what are your plans and goals around, um, you know, prioritizing and performance measures. Thanks, uh, Commissioner Macias. That's a uh, great question. One of the things that staff will be doing uh, once the general plan is adopted is coming before uh, planning and design commission as well as city council with an annual report. And so we will be um, uh, annually updating our uh, performance measures and then presenting to, to council kind of the status of how we're making progress uh, on those measures that are in the general plan. So once a year, you're, I, and again, on, I don't have the paper in front of me, but you have, you, you know, you have like a baseline, right? Um, and then you have a goal. Um, so, and, and there are, a lot of goals in the general plan. So I guess my question sort of goes back to how are, when you're doing the annual report out to council, um, how, what's being prioritized for you to report out on? And, you know, yeah, I guess what's that process? Sure, I, I guess I would add that, um, <clears throat> I think just maybe to clarify, Commissioner, that um, part one of the general plan includes indicators. And so uh, we will be reporting on those specific indicators. Um, in addition to that, all of the implementation measures are included um, as part four of the general plan. And there is a timeline associated with those implementation measures as well as a responsible department uh, that would be carrying out those implementation measures. And we'll be reaching out to all of the departments, obtaining the status update on the progress that's being made with those implementation measures, reporting that to the commission and council, and then making adjustments where necessary based on department's priorities and the resources that are available. So we can assess if there are any shifts that need to be made um, with uh, the, uh, those implementation measures and the timelines that we set out to accomplish everything by 2040. I'll just to add to that, the key indicators were developed based on you know, the formation of our vision and guiding principles and how do we know like, you know, we're, we're, we're moving the, the ball down the court and we're, we're getting where we want to be. And I'll just quickly list those where we're really going to be tracking. And these, you know, have really good data sources. We're be able to you know, track them uh, and report out annually. Uh, are we meeting our goals? So that's, you know, mode share split. So getting more folks out of cars and, you know, into 
onto bikes and walking. Uh, vehicle miles uh, traveled per capita, uh, reducing vehicle miles traveled is, is uh, very important to meet our climate goals. Households with zero emission vehicles, so we know that that's also part of that number of public uh, um, EV chargers, percent of urban tree canopy in disadvantaged communities, echoing a lot of what we heard. Uh, health, uh, healthy food access in disadvantaged communities, park score uh, rating, um, access investment acreage and amenities and equity around parks, uh, infill development in corridors and, and centers, share of residents spending more than 30% of, of income on housing. We know housing burden and affordability is very important. So those are um, the areas that we, we wanted to track on an annual basis. And um, you know we, we're hopeful that we, we created those goals, policies, and actions to really move the needle on those. Fantastic, thank you so much for your work. And I look forward to, um, you know, I know that this isn't the last process that's coming back to us next year for adoption, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how how we move the ball on some of these policies, so thank you. Thank you very much, <clears throat> Commissioner Macias-Reed. Next, we will go to the famous Commissioner Faden. <laughs> thank you, Chair. Um, I, yeah, I would just echo all of the compliments from uh, uh, Commissioner Macias-Reed. I, I mean, I wanna take maybe a moment just to appreciate what happened last night, which was like, to me, pretty remarkable. It was it was a really remarkable night. You know, the the unit caps that we talked about are gone. The the FAR is doubled within a half mile. That was an action taken by council that is going in the general plan. And you know, typically in these processes, you, it doesn't go in that direction. Usually, you put something out there and it gets whittled down and it gets less ambitious over time. It got more ambitious, right? And that and that happened because. Um, staff received feedback from us, it, feedback from the public, feedback from uh, council, and um, really quickly turned around a, a whole new document and, and a, whole, a whole new map. Um, so it, it was really, uh, to me, an incredible um, example of democracy in action. So credit to staff and um, credit to the city for, for doing that. Um, and I won't, I guess I don't have to really talk about those particular aspects because they're already sort of acted on by council. But I do have a few questions here. Um, so the first one, in the maximum FAR map, um, there is a, a small area, and I don't know if you can pull it up, but um, there's a very small area that's like immediately north of 48th Street Light Rail Station in East Sacramento. It's east of um, East Lawn Memorial Park. And it looked like it did still have an FAR of 1.0, um, but it's you know directly across the street from the light rail station. Just curious, what was what was going on there? Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. We're going to be taking a closer look at that with our GIS team and making sure it meets the criteria set forth by council, you know, which is a half uh, you know walk, um, half <laughs> uh, half mile walking distance. And so there is you know one, the methodology of the walking distance. Sometimes when it appears that light rail stations are close. They're actually more than half a mile because of the barriers that we talked about in trying to, to remove highways, freeways, railroad tracks, et cetera. So, uh, but we will take a closer look at that, uh, a particular parcel, to make sure that it meets the criteria. Okay. Um, and then on LUP 8.3 for the local bonus program, um, so it has a, a stipulation in there that says that it would apply because state density bonus law is five units or more, and then this program has a stipulation saying that it would be 
for the local bonus program applying to projects under five units. And I think I was just trying to understand what, what you would use a density bonus program for in that situation given there isn't a unit cap, so you're not using it to exceed you know, the number of units allowed. Is it just like form-based standards? Or like what, what would be the idea there? Yeah, more to come on that. We have uh, two items in our work pr program, and if adopted, we'll have this one as well. So we've, we're be updating our overall density bonus ordinance um, because obviously state law around density uh, bonus changes every year. Ours is a bit stale now. Of course, we, we just adhere to state law around density bonus, um, but we want to make it more clear and really point to the government code. So as the government code evolves, then you know, we'll, you know, our code will uh, keep that up. We do have an opportunity to take a look at our density bonus and how it's structured or if there are things we want to do above and beyond um, you know, state law around that. And then in terms of for the, the missing middle housing types, you know, as you mentioned, Commissioner, you know, the density bonus law only applies to multi-unit dwellings of five unit primary units or more. So we wanted to, to uh, put an action here to direct staff to create something for missing middle housing. Um, although there will be no unit caps, um, you know, there may be a, a way to incentivize leadership of affordable housing through increased FARs, deviation or you know deviations or concessions incentives around other standards whether that you know we could look at things setbacks height other you know most TBD on that but um, you know that would be the the thought there yeah that makes sense and I I mean I <clears throat> I think it's a good idea to to do that because I think when you're making these wholesale changes like we're doing it's it's um, I mean I think in our current regulatory environment we have a good sense of what the bottlenecks are and when you're completely wholesale changing everything, you don't necessarily know. Um, so it may be that setbacks, it may be the bolt control standards, we don't know yet. And so having an opportunity to use a local bonus program, even if you have a triplex, if you included affordable unit, maybe you, you, know, you find that there's some sort of small concession that you need um, outside of a unit bonus. So it's a good idea. Um, I saw, so L LUP 4.1, and that is where we're kind of defining transit there. And I know I saw the definition sort of changed in the red line version from what we had before. I think before we had um, existing and planned transit, frequent transit more generally. And I think now it reads existing and planned rail, but only existing high frequency bus service. Is that, do I have it right? Yeah, that is correct. The policy and in, in the intent increasing FARs is around existing uh, or adopted high frequency stops. So, in the case of um, Sacra RT's uh, light rail, they have an adopted green line extension, and so you know we be applying that to that. So, if so, we added an action. I think it's LEPA six new action that we would take another look. So, if a new high frequency transit stops, whether a bus or light rail were adopted um, by SACRT or another transit agency, uh, then we'll, we have that direction to take a look at that and potentially increase those FARs or um, intensities near that new high frequency stop. Right, and so I, I think, um, you know, one thing just to kind of keep in mind and be aware of is like this chicken and the egg issue here where transit agencies can't really justify higher frequencies on bus routes, you know, without land use change, but then you know, you don't allow more intense land use change until you have higher transit frequencies. Um, so it makes it 
for challenging changes to that. Um, I do understand you know, why you made the changes, because it brings in, of course, a much larger area if you just bring in all planned um, bus routes that, you know, in the SACOG definition are 15-minute frequencies by 2040. But, yeah, so you, you'd bring in East Sacramento, you'd bring in Freeport. So I, under, I understand why we kind of limited that there. I'm wondering, you know, if it would be possible in that definition to also include in the existing and planned category um, bus rapid transit. So I understand it was rail and like more commuter rail. Would there be an opportunity for us to bring in BRT to the existing and planned conversation? Just because BRT, you'd, you'd have a similar experience as rail, right? It's, it's, it's intended to, to kind of mimic rail in the sense that it has dedicated lanes. Yeah, that's a great, great flag. I know that there's a study on Stockton Boulevard you know, right now underway for bus rapid transit. So if there is, you know, transit that comes 15 minutes or less, then it would, you know, meet that definition. So bus rapid transit would, would meet that definition. And then also want to, you know, note that uh, where a lot of our transit exists on commercial corridors, we already, prior to these revisions, already increased our FARs on commercial corridors for that very reason. So we, you know, a lot of commercial corridors, four, six, et cetera, and higher FARs, uh, to meet that intent of those as being um, commercial corridors, but also corridors that carry transit, even if they don't meet the definition of high frequency. Yeah, I mean, I think I would like to bring in planned BRT routes, um, which I know it doesn't affect, like, I think on the map right now, it's not going to impact anything on FAR because the only planned BRT route already has 15-minute frequencies on Stockton and on the 51. So I, it's not going to change the existing map, but just kind of as we're starting to think about the future, I think it would be be good to kind of treat future planned BRT the same that we treat um, planned light rail. And I think it also has the added benefit of, as we think about the future of the Green Line extension and what that will look like, um, potentially a future where that is a BRT route instead of a light rail route, we wouldn't have to go back and amend our FAR maps to to reduce FARs because it's no longer uh, planned rail. Um, maybe SB 330 would prevent that anyway, but I don't know. Um, so you mentioned the LUP A.6, the future high-frequency routes. Um, so is it fair to say that the intent there on that program is to ensure that if we're basing our FAR of 2.0 versus 1.0 on, like, proximity to, to frequent transit, and you have a corridor that like isn't frequent now, but then becomes frequent in the future. Then we would like reevaluate that and, and increase from from one to two in that situation. Is that the intent? That's correct. So if that's the case, and I, I agree with the intent, um, I think I'd like to see a stronger commitment than reevaluate. Just because I think reevaluate leaves a lot to interpretation. You could reevaluate something and then choose not to. Um, so I, I don't know what the language is really, but I think just any kind of stronger language that, that commits the city to kind of changing future FAR if you do have a situation where J to E Sacramento gets 15-minute frequencies, um, I think that would be great, um, to, to kind of commit ourselves to actually changing the land use map accordingly. And I don't know, you know, that could be via language, that could be... Um, as strong as an automatic trigger, maybe there's something like every five years you reevaluate and it's automatically triggered in. Um, I don't know exactly what that could look like, but I think that would be great to see. 
Um, and then one, sorry, one more question here. So LUP 3.11, interim zoning consistency. It says, if the zoning becomes inconsistent with the general plan due to an amendment to the general plan and the city receives a development application, the city will proceed in accordance with five eight or uh, six five eight six zero. Is that? Can you can you just explain what that means? Is that like related to density bonus? What is, what's happening there? I didn't mean to ask a hard question. So <laughs> I, I just didn't know. It's what a it hard meant. question, and I'm looking at the city attorney's. Uh, I don't know if Courtney, you want to respond to that, or you want me to. I don't have the policy in front of me. I want to look at it. But the idea is that 65860 of the government code, I believe, is the vertical consistency statute in state law. Um, the idea is that, right, all zoning obviously needs to comply with the general plan. So we will make that happen. I, th I think I should look at the policies. I'm happy to talk to you separately. But yes, we're being very mindful about that. I think what I was kind of interested in is just this interim period when we adopt the general plan in February, the zoning code update doesn't happen until the end of the year. So you could have in, like temporary inconsistency there. <laughs> um, so if you had a project come forward, say like, let's just use an example. You had a missing middle prod project that is do wanting to do a fourplex. The zoning code right now would say one unit only. The general plan would say you can do a fourplex. Are, how are you, are you able to process, like does this policy allow you to process that application or do you still need to wait for the zoning code to go into effect? Well, in terms of uh, missing middle, we will, in order to actually allow folks to move forward with those applications and allow missing middle in our four zones that we're studying, the R1, R1A, R1B, and R2, we would need to actually update the zoning code prior to, uh, to, the, to accepting those applications. Okay, so this doesn't, this doesn't in any way um, fast track that. You still need to wait until, all right. That's right, but we, we are committed as staff to, um, we've been asked to, to make those code amendments by the end of 2024, that's our intent. It is uh, gonna be in our planning zoning work program as well as it's, it's one of the actions, LUP action eight, uh, we'll be moving forward with that relatively quickly after adoption of general plan. Great, that's all my questions for now, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. Next, we have Commissioner Chase. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Chair. Um, just a few questions uh, and, and then a few comments. Um, on um, First of all, uh, Remy, everyone that worked on this, Vic, uh, Matt, great job. Tremendous effort. And I know that it will be ongoing for a while still, but uh, just a great job. Um, Certainly kept us occupied going through it all, uh, that's for sure. Um, quick comment, uh, LUP 3.3, which is allowing net building area for small lots. I didn't see anywhere what the definition of a small lot is. Uh, is, is there a definition, size-wise or whatever? Uh, we can take a look and see if we have a definition in the glossary, but uh, essentially the, the meat of that policy is that you would be permitted to build up to 2,000 square feet. So it's inherently that the 2,000 square feet is really, I think, the important part of that. 
because if you're if you have a small lot and if you're building a single unit dwelling, our sliding scale allows 0.4. So let's say you have a really small lot. Let's say we have a small lot of uh, 3,000 square feet. So a standard standard lot is 5,200 square feet in the cities. So if you've got a 3,000 point four of that, I'm going to do some terrible math. Let's call that 1,300 square feet that you could build of a home. We're saying if you meet a, you know, as long as you meet your development standards, you could actually build up. We're not going to apply the full sliding scale for you. You can actually go up to 2,000 square feet because we think that's a reasonable size home. So it really allows smaller homes on smaller lots. I, I agree with the intent totally. I just wasn't sure what the you know, definition was there. Um, L, LUP 4.1, Transit Supportive Development. Um, I think we've heard some comments from uh, uh, you know, my uh, colleagues here. Um, I also was wondering about the, you know, the, the planned light rail stations, uh, and I would agree that perhaps that should include the option of BRT uh, for sure, because I think from a cost standpoint, you know, Curitiba in Brazil was a good example of that. They could not afford uh, light rail. They put in BRT, highly successful, and this was back in the 70s. So we certainly may well be looking at more BRT, and I think we should, you know, um, allow for that. Um, I was confused on ERC uh, 8.8, heat resilient design techniques. Um, I was a little confused as to what the wording and the intent was to promote. It was added to require building materials and site design techniques to minimize areas of reflective hard surfaces. Um, you know, is that the site materials, paving, build, but it also says building materials. In some ways, building material reflective is advantageous because it would cut down on the absorption of heat uh, into a unit and there and there reduce the uh, the energy needs for needs for air conditioning. Vic, you know, I'll I'll just say uh, that was recommendation from our design review team. So um, that that really is just a direct recommendation that we we took that language. So I don't I don't think I can speak to the specifics behind it, but um, that is coming from our our architects on staff. Okay, yep. ask Bruce to clarify that, please. Okay. Um, I, you know, and, uh, just a comment on uh, NSM Death Sticks in North Sacramento, which is my district. Um, the continue, city can, shall continue to seek funding to carry out improvements uh, as prioritized in the transportation priorities plan for streets that lack sidewalks and street uh, lighting. Uh, and are under heavy use by pedestrians. I live in the area of Woodlake, which is in North Sacramento. Um, it is surrounded by development that's coming in, affordable and market rate housing all along the perimeter, which is great. Uh, it is going to put more people in the streets because there's an, a school within the interior of that. So there will be, and, and again, how, you know, I, I guess I want to know how do we ensure prioritization of something like that in the transportation plan because that, that's an area that I think would need, uh, as kids are going back and forth and no sidewalks, would need some improvements. So I would ask if you could, you know, follow up and see how that could be prioritized. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. And I don't want to put her on the spot. We do have our transportation planning manager here <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> who can speak to uh, the process for the transportation priorities plan and how things were, were prioritized in that that has been adopted by council. Commissioner, commissioners, Jennifer Donlin-Wyant, transportation planning manager. It's very good to see you this evening. Um, so your specific question about Woodlake or North Sacramento and how sidewalks could be incorporated into the transportation priorities plan, 
That would be done through, if you have not heard about our Streets for People Active Transportation Plan. Um, and so through that process, we were identifying walking and biking improvements throughout the city. And so if you hadn't commented, we ask that you do comment. Um, and that's how we, we would identify a sidewalk need. And then once we have that approval, it would then all be prioritized in the transportation priorities plan using those five criteria that were approved by council. And for those of you who don't know those five criteria, let me outline them for you. The first is um, access to, and they all have equal weight, access to community destinations such as parks, schools, and jobs. The next one is improving air quality, climate, and health. So things that support walking, biking, and transit access. Um, maintaining our system. So you might have seen that our streets maybe aren't the highest quality pavement. And so we want to make sure that we address those greatest needs. Um, fixing, uh, addressing safety. Sacramento ranks the worst city in California for traffic safety per capita. So we want to address our known safety challenges. And then last but not least, equitable investment as defined by investing in areas that lack basic infrastructure and also investing in communities that are recipients of racism and bias. Um, so we'll, we'll evaluate all those projects, including um, uh, new sidewalks in Woodlake or other parts of Sacramento, and they'll be prioritized under that matrix. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, the, um, uh, under carbon sequestration measures, uh, CS 1.1, um, the urban forest plan and the parks plan with a, a you know, goal to achieve the urban canopy, um, and I think it also is an ERC 3.1, 3.2. Um, surprisingly, we have, and, and I totally agree with that, I think we, we need, we should be proud we have a tremendous tree canopy. Um, it's taken some hits over the last you know, a few years during the, uh, uh, the, the, the drought several years back. Um, one of my concerns is, and again, as former you know, building official for the city, when projects do come in to the city, quite often they will just clear a lot to prepare it, get it ready for development. Uh, and that often entails taking down a lot of probably good trees. They may not be, um, uh, you know, what's the term, uh, you know, uh, you know, t highly protected, but still they're, they're valuable trees. Uh, and they go away to make it easier for the development. I totally understand that from an economic standpoint. But the same token, to maintain that urban canopy, I'd like to see something that encourages uh, development to, um, to try to utilize existing trees that are on the site and work around them as much as possible. It's not always possible and all can't be saved, but in a lot of ways, you know, to, to have a development, uh, whether it's a condo or a single family house, with a, you know, a 100-year-old you know, tree outside is going to be a lot more valuable, I think, than a, a, you know, a stick that's going to take 30 or 40 years to become a real tree for somebody. So uh, something that encourages, I think, the, the uh, maintaining and, and uh, keeping existing trees to keep our tree canopy uh, intact. Um, the uh, anyway, so it was whether that can be built in somehow as an incentive uh, to it uh, for development. Um, if not, at least from a timing standpoint, I've seen projects where once they they came in for a demo plan, cleared the lot, buildings and trees that may have been there, and then that project sits for five years, you know, economic before something happens. 
if there's some way to tie that, that final demolition, particularly of trees, to actual perhaps issuance of building permit for new construction so that there isn't a huge delay in there where we have damaged our tree canopy. Um, whatever can be done to address that, I think. Um, the, uh, the, uh, it was an interesting comparison of the, uh, the housing types between uh, uh, Sacramento, Oakland, and Long Beach in terms of the amount of uh, density of housing. Having lived in Southern California and spending a lot of time in Oakland, I think their urban cores, though, are more intense and larger than, than ours are, which certainly is going to help them achieve that density. Uh, so uh, I think that speaks somewhat to the differences in those numbers, but I, I'd certainly like to have us, uh, you know, try to incur the density. Um, I had a question on the uh, map LUP-4, which is the land use concept. Um, there's a urban center envisioned, I think, kind of out in North Sacramento off of 80 uh, Swanston area. I was wondering, is that, what's the intent of that? I've never thought of that as a former future uh, urban center, but hopefully I'm wrong. And from the size of the circle, it's envisioned as a fairly intense one, so. Wish I could give you page numbers, but it's the land use concept map, LUP-4. Commissioner, can you repeat the area that you're interested in, in learning more about? Um, yes, it's the large uh, uh, urban center circle, uh, kind of uh, northwest, uh, northeast of downtown, uh, following I-80, uh, uh, business 80, uh, up north of the city. Um, It almost appears to be kind of where that, that new uh, housing that Soterius is building, the 700 units are going in there. Is that envisioned as an urban center? Yeah. Yes, Commissioner, that, uh, I believe that area is um, uh, partly because of its proximity to light rail stations as well as um, potential redevelopment sites, in the large redevelopment sites in the area. It's um, uh, near the... Cal Expo, Arden Mall, Point West area there. So um, it's just as a, as a concept, not necessarily as a land use designation, um, but as part of the 20 year vision for the area, a potential urban center. Yeah, um, yeah I'd like to see it happen. So um, anyway, I think that's, that's all I, my- I think that's my... the Swanson Station Transit Village plan. I think that's the specific plan that is around Swanson Station probably. So, yes, it would be, I think, in that area. Okay. Um, Beyond that, thank you all for your efforts. Great, great, great uh, pro process here, great project. Thank you, I yield. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Um, I believe we wanna follow up on a comment and question that you made earlier. Uh, we have a remark from the city attorney's office. I do, please, thank you. So I looked at that policy, the reference to government code 65860. So that statute defines vertical consistency, meaning how do you figure out if a zoning code is compatible with the general plan? So that statute and the case law interpreting it give us guidance. The sentence that you're referring to about um, the rezoning and when it should happen, we reference 65860 because it makes clear that the city must do it within a quote, reasonable time, is the phrase that the statute uses. Thank you. Great, thank you. Learn something new every day. Thank you very much. Commissioners, any additional comments, questions, feedback, thoughts for staff? Um, <clears throat> 
I'll just say again and echo a lot of the comments that my fellow commissioners have made. Really appreciate all of the work over the years, um, and especially in the outreach to the community and incorporating all of the thousands of comments um, and responding to each one of those. It's a tremendous, tremendous effort. So um, thank you for bringing this forward for, to us today. Um, one of the things that I've um, heard consistently throughout the, um, do you have another question comment? Oh, let's go to Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Yeah, one uh, thing I wanted to mention uh, re related to the North Sacramento Community Plan. There's a very unique situation with North Sacramento, and some of you may be aware of it. I know some of the people that I've talked to, Tom Pace and others, are aware of it now. Uh, when North Sacramento was annexed into the city of Sacramento, 1964, I think, or somewhere in that uh, area, um, there's a reference in here that it was done by a majority vote, slim majority. Uh, so it was not a highly favored annexation at that time. As a result of that, there were some disgruntled staff in the city of North Sacramento that apparently destroyed a lot of records and documents that never made it over to the city. Uh, by that, I mean, for instance, there, there are no uh, records of any kind of pl uh, uh, public utility easements in Woodlake and I think all of North Sacramento. They just do not exist. Uh, they're not, we know they're there because the lines are there, but there's no recorded uh, easements for any of those things. Uh, building permits that for uh, this came up with uh, some uh, uh, ADUs, if you were, or you know, secondary units that were built many, many years ago. No records of them, and it's created problems for people who were, you know, trying to use them for Airbnb. So, uh, I think if there's a way to, um, you know, to look at that situation and see if, if anything can be done or should be built into the general plan to account for that because I, I think over the next 20 years the, as more development occurs there'll be more issues that will need you know some documentation that won't exist and so how can we expedite that uh, that process and uh, again to date uh, the planning department the building department has been great in understanding the situation and working with it but it's probably just going to keep reoccurring so if you could I think if, if you could address that some way in, in the general plan going forward, it would be helpful. So, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Uh, Commissioner Lamas. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to um, ask the staff uh, to see if they acknowledge receipt of a letter that came in from the ECOS group, Environmental Council of Sacramento. I believe they sent it to all the planning commissioners. Um, I think about two days ago, um, but um, I don't know how those get into the actual staff report if they come in after a certain amount of time. And I know they brought up some, they had some questions and concerns regarding the Natomas Basin uh, Habitat Conserva Conservation Plan. So just wanted to make sure that, that that was received and staff is looking into those uh, comments. Yes, thank you, Commissioner. Uh uh, we, we have received a letter from ECOS. It uh, is attached to the general plan staff report, uh, staff report tonight. And also, additionally, we have, and I know it's a very long attachment, but we have all almost 2,000 comments received, and we have responses to each and every comment. So we have responses to every uh, point outlined in the ECOS's letter uh, with responses, uh, staff responses. And in some cases, we made revisions based on that letter. Uh, but happy to go more detail on those responses if you like, but uh, those can be found in the attachment as well. Okay, perfect, because I did see their original letter. I think they had one letter sent like in August, and I think the report responded to that, and this one seems to be an updated letter 
dated October, but we just received it. So it's, but it sounds like those were incorporated and, and were responded to. And my understanding is they uh, eco-submitted a letter on the, on the general plan and cap, as well as on the draft master environmental impact report. So uh, we are, uh, staff is currently working on a final master uh, environmental impact report with responses uh, to comments received, and we will be uh, presenting that uh, to the commission uh, ahead of the January 25th uh, hearing. Perfect, thank you so much. And then just um, kind of a, something that I wanted to mention in terms of the safe routes to school program, I know that um, there was mention about um, looking into these programs. Um, I'm not a transportation expert. Um, my wife actually made the suggestion. Um, there's, um, I guess there's cities that have like posts where you can pick up a, a flag, like if you don't have a crossing guard. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know how crossing guards get paid, but if there's like a, a post, or do they get paid, I don't know. And you just pick up the flag and you walk with the kids around you if you're a parent walking the kids to school and then you drop the flag off on the other side and, and vice versa. So just something to throw out there as whoever's gonna consider this safe route to school program. Thank you, I yield my time. Thank you for that, Commissioner Lamas. <clears throat> you know, one thing that I appreciate about a lot of the comments that have been made here tonight too is how much we love our trees and landscape. You know, we might be the city of Farm to Fork City, but we are truly the city of trees. Um, and with that, I wanted to um, mention a comment that I received for, um, from constituents in District 6 regarding uh, the campus commons area. Um, can you talk a little bit about how um, the proposal, proposed revisions in the general plan affect um, that urban forest feel in that area and the historic nature um, from that particular neighborhood? Yes, thank you, uh, Chair. So we did receive um, a comment letter um, from, I believe, the Campus Commons community, and we, staff, attended a meeting there uh, and spoke about the general plan and the intended general plan. Uh, and so some of their comments were, um, you know, wanting to understand you know, what the role the general plan uh, can play in, you know, maintaining uh, the community they love. The Camps Commons, you know, is a uh, plan unit development, so there are certain guidelines and requirements that are already in place there. Uh, the land use designations and uh, suggested maximum floor area ratios are consistent with the 2035 general plan, so just kind of rolling over, translating that, and not increasing that beyond that. Um, and so we feel like the, you know, the general plan is consistent with the 2035 general plan. Um, we know that uh, there was a uh, application for 707 campus commons, and um, a lot of the community members have made comments on that. Uh, my understanding is that it'll be coming to Planning Design Commission um, as a third-party appeal, uh, appealing uh, the decision on that project. So I believe that's scheduled for January 11th for Planning Design Commission. So I imagine there'll be a number of, of community members um, speaking on that particular project. Thank you for that. So it sounds like there's some consistent policies there and the desire for the community and the neighborhood in terms of preserving the urban forestry feel and the historic nature are processes outside of the general plan update, is that correct? Yes, the general plan is consistent with, with uh, you know, what, we, what we read in, in these comment letters in terms of the, the urban forest, maintaining the urban forest, and um, you know, in Camps Commons, yeah. Great, thank you. Uh, we have another comment by Commissioner Young, whenever you're ready. Thank you. 
Uh, really just a quick question. I, I was looking at um, chapter 11 of the South Area Community Plan, and I'm specifically looking at the uh, Vision Zero top five corridor, top 10 corridor section. Um, if you could maybe just sort of expand a little bit about just specifically how is the city um, attempting to just really address, address, you know, kind of the safety concerns in that area. I, I do, I see some, some mention of just removing travel lanes and other locations. If you can maybe like expand a little bit on that and then also just, um, I know that there is some talk about prioritizing funding and, and whatnot. So if I could just maybe get a, a just a bigger snapshot of that, that would be great. Thank Absolutely, you. Commissioner again. Hello again, Jennifer Donlin-Wyatt, Transportation Planning Manager. Um, so a little bit of background, just so you know where we are with our Vision Zero work. In 2016, we began our Vision Zero action plan work to hear from, do our data analysis, see where our most severe and fatal crashes were happening, um, understand why they were happening, and address countermeasures for the specific issues. So you know, our big issues in Sacramento are twofold. The first is impaired driving. There's not a lot I can do to design our streets around impaired driving. That's important land use discussion. So are our restaurants and entertainment areas near where people live? Can we have access to transit and, and ride share to get folks home more safely? Um, the other issue is, is folks driving at unsafe speeds. Uh, and the way that we can address that is through engineering and redesigning our streets to encourage slower driving by drivers. However, transportation funding is hard to get. We have a $5.4 billion backlog of planned improvements, so we want to prioritize um, our work. And through the Vision Zero Action Plan, we identified the five corridors in the city with the highest number of traffic fatalities and serious injuries, and that includes Marysville Boulevard, El Camino, uh, Broadway Stockton, right in the Oak Park Bend over there, Lower Stockton, and Florin Road. Uh, so the specific question you're asking probably is about Florin Road, uh, which is by the light rail station and by Luther Burbank High School. Um, so we prioritize doing studies to find out what specifically are happening in those corridors, working with our communities. We finished that work, I want to say 2020, 2021, the specific dates are uh, not in my mind right now, but we finished that planning work with the communities. Um, and then we're aggressively seeking funding uh, to make those improvements. I'm happy to say that we do have the funding for Florin Road. Um, we're working in phases to improve it. Uh, we have phase one and two. Anytime you work near rail lines and there is an at-grade rail crossing right by the, the light rail station, it takes a little bit of extra time. But we're working to expedite that as, as quickly as possible so that what, not only do we have safer access to transit, but for all the high school students who are going to Luther Burbank uh, that also use light rail, that we have good services for them. Um, we expect uh, that work to be happening over the next couple of years to see the improvements. Florin Road is a, um, we're not looking at a road diet or removing travel lanes, but what we are doing is tightening up those lanes to, incur to encourage slower driving. Uh, more crossings that are controlled, particularly for the light rail folks who are getting off and traveling and the high school students uh, and other technical safety improvements. Great. I, I guess I would, I, I appreciate the, the response. So that, that's helpful. I think I would just encourage planning staff as they consider um, you know, as we're considering more TOD type of projects, especially um, we're, we're going to be looking at affordable housing projects across um, the city, um, you know, to be looking at Todd and IIG funding, um, AHSC from HCD. And so those would be great funding sources that we can tap into um, to, to address these improvements. I'm hoping we can use those, those funding sources to prioritize, you know, the, these types of safety issues. Thank you. Commissioner uh, Young, 
<clears throat> as a follow-up to that, you know, I, I recently saw, um, you know, there's a famous crossing in Japan, the Shibuya crossing, where all traffic stops and everyone crosses in any direction in every direction. Um, that also exists in Pasadena and other cities in California and the United States. Is that a consideration that um, the action plan or the general plan has considered in terms of safety and making sure that there is no traffic when there are pedestrians crossing. Chair, we call that, um, there are two terms for that we use, the Barnes dance, because there was a, a, a engineer in New York who created it and did it in New York back in, way back in the day, 50 years ago, I can't remember how long ago. Um, it's also known as pedestrian scramble, because pedestrians can go everywhere. Um, it's on the table. The general plan doesn't get into that level of design and detail, but it is something that we are looking at. Generally, you need a certain threshold of pedestrian activity to, to trigger that to make that happen. Um, my guess is there are probably a couple locations on the grid, maybe near the convention center where we see that pedestrian activity, that might be worthwhile. Uh, it is something that we are looking at though. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioners, any other questions, comments, or feedback for staff? Thank you so much um, for all of the work once again um, and effort. We're really excited for uh, the next steps. Um, so that concludes our discussion calendar item. Uh, we'll now move on to commissioner comments, ideas, and questions. Commissioners. I know you're excited. We have one more meeting of the year in December. Um, seeing none, um, I will uh, adjourn this meeting at 6.55 p.m. Thanks, everybody. Have a good evening. <laughs>